Well, 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 welcome to the mayhem Dick and Lloyd mayhem Media mayhem Market in a mayhem You might love it, you might hate it Here's my favorite freaking show. Well, Lloyd, you know, we sit around and talk to people all the time. People have done great things. But, yeah, um, we do. I look across the cigar table sometimes and I say, wait a minute, I don't know everything about Lloyd Edge. And Indeed so, not. You do not. How intimate is this going to be, Dick? As intimate as you'd like. Okay. I think... Uh, all right, well, I'm going to leave the sheets on then in that yeah. case. Okay, good. Where did Lloyd Edge get started in this city? Well, Dick, I was a very, very... This is going to shock you. I was a very bad student in school. Oh, and what school did you go to around the area? Uh, well, I went to Shawnee Mission East. Okay. Much yeah. to their shame. Mm-hmm. I, was, I think I graduated last in my class. And it was a... You know, I, I was a disciplinary problem. Yeah. And so I started working for some uh, artists, some guy, uh, what they used to call uh, commercial artists in a studio. Okay. It's kind of a, uh, uh, you know, what they uh, what do they call those guys that would uh, come in and work for nothing? I was one of those well, guys. They're called interns now. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, back yeah. in the old days, I think they had like a medieval name for uh-huh. them. Yeah. Okay. Like. Uh, you know, uh, assistant to the master or something. Ah, such. yes. Uh-huh. Oh, I did yeah. that and uh, because I was interested in, in graphic design, and I, I got into that field, opened a studio eventually down in Westport. Did you go uh, to college or did you learn on the job? Dick, I, you know, I, I continued my stellar academic career in college. Okay. I mm-hmm. was a four-year graduate of Johnson County Community College. Oh, gotcha. Is that, that's normally a two-year school, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah, it is. That's what I thought. Yeah. But I was on a special program. Yeah, it sounds like it, yeah. And then uh, I continued my education at places like uh, oh, UMKC and yeah. things like that. Do I, you remember the first graphics job you got? Yeah, I, I do. I, I was thinking about it the other day because I was, you know, on one of those things we remember about the olden days of Kansas City Facebook sites, right. which mm-hmm. are kind of fun. And somebody brought up the submarine on Maine, the old sub. Oh, the sandwich place. Yeah. And, yeah. and there was a guy named Steve Friedman who was a great guy. He wound up opening the corner restaurant later on. And somehow, I don't remember how, Steve... Uh, gave me the job to design his menu and I had a lot of fun with that and you know of course that was mm-hmm. w- as most of my graphics career that was back in the old uh, exacto knife uh, cutting up pieces oh, of type and yes. spray mount and uh, oh my. Uh, you know rubber cement and t-squares and all that and I put together this menu I've still got a copy of it did I started doing little odds and ends jobs for friends uh logos and business cards and other things and more menus uh my buddy uh bob reagan who later became a partner of mine in buzzard beach he opened uh charlie hooper's Mm -hmm. worked on their stuff yeah sure some of the early projects did you do this for money or was this for exchange for pastrami sandwiches Mm, i got money uh it was not much those those were difficult days dick well, let's let's move ahead now to the next step, and and of course, uh, you're in Westport. You're one of the guys in Westport. All I remember about Loy Edge back then was that Loy rode around on a scooter most mm. all the time. Is that right? I did, I did. I had Vespas, 
and they all got stolen and dismantled and by people. I, I mean, uh, I, I'd keep one for maybe a year, and they'd get stolen, and the police would call and say, we found what's left of your scooter yeah. on a street named after a minor president. <laughs> okay, good. And this was long before the bird scooters would have been right up your alley back then, wouldn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was, mm-hmm. yeah, I was, uh, and it was a rare sight yeah. in those days. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, you know, they were street legal without a license. I like that. They didn't have to do paperwork. Mm-hmm. There are some rumors that some people know you as Loy the DJ. What's the deal yeah. on that? Mm-hmm. Well, I did do some of that. Really? Uh, yeah, there was a there was one of those 18 and over bars. I, I, I had the great fortune of growing up in Kansas so I could drink beer. 3-2 beer? Yeah, at okay. 18. All right. There was a, a joint on 75th and Metcalf called Instant Replay West, and it was a, it was a disco. And uh, I I did indeed DJ there, Dick. So I, have, I may have I been DJing that. as early as you. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I think that was 74. 74 would have been the year that I started at KY 102. So There yeah. you go. Mm-hmm. I knew it. There you go. Match up. Uh, Ding! <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that yesterday when somebody on a golf cart had their music going and Color My World came on and oh. I broke out into a slow dance. I, there you go, ladies' choice. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. Well, as I said earlier, you know, you were a, a big personality around the Westport area. You opened a studio there in Westport. Uh, what do you remember about those days? That's right. Uh, early thing, uh, you know, as soon as I was 21, I moved toward where the liquor licenses were. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. I, I went down to uh, Westport, and I lived above... Uh, where Tori's Pizza was. Uh-huh. I think there's some record companies up there now, but I lived upstairs from uh, Ace's Rock Shop and a little place called the Happy Buzzard where I bartended Okay, at 21. Right. And uh, that place closed and became another place and then another place, and then it was, it was closed up. Meanwhile, I had opened a graphic design studio back where... The private space for Californos is now. So that whole building where Californos restaurant and some other shops, that was my space. Okay. And I believe I paid $200 a month for that. Wow. And that included utilities. Okay. <laughs> and you could drive several cars in there. Uh, my band, the Clam Jam Band, we practiced in right. there. Right, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, uh, there were a lot of parties, and we were very young. So I had that graphic eye going with my old partner, Bob Ferguson, who was a Hallmark guy. Okay. And then uh, was working as a bartender at, at Happy Buzzard. So that was the earliest days down there. Everything was right in the neighborhood, wasn't it? Was it was good. Yeah. yeah. It was a lot of fun for a young guy to be down there. Life was good. Well, you know, the Happy Buzzard uh, there for a good while, but then all of a sudden it became the Buzzard Beach. What did you have to do with that? Well, Dick, the Happy Buzzard was a lot of fun, and it was one of those uh, 70s places, and, you know, just a a great kind of an Aspen-type ski lodge feel to it, kind of a dive, but a fun place, Yeah, a lot of hip kids, people like George Brett hanging out there, and and then it kind of fell apart, and uh, it became a couple other places, as I mentioned, they kind of tore everything out, and kind of sterilized it really and changed the whole layout of it and and then it was uh, fallow for about a year and 
I really thought that it had so much um, going for it uh, and so much potential. I went to the landlady there who happened to be the owner of Ace's Rock Shop, Jean Dickinson, and told her that I, I really wanted to uh, go in there and uh, rebuzzardize it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So convincing people that a rebuzzardization project was in order was not real easy, but Gene mm-hmm. called my parents and said, is it okay for uh, Lloyd to do this? I don't want him to ruin his life. <laughs> and so they gave it their blessing. And uh, I went in there with uh, Bob Reagan from uh, Charlie Hoopers, who had who had uh, been the general manager of Woodside Racquet Club previously. Yeah, which is where okay. I, met. I was a Cabana boy there. I didn't mention that. Okay. okay. Yes. Yeah, anyway, I did that too. But then uh, we uh, we went in there, and I think we spent maybe twenty thousand, twenty five thousand dollars, and just. Um, built what is now Buzzard Beach, and the thing just went gangbusters and has been doing well for I don't know thirty some odd years. So is it still there? It's still there. It's still t- the sa- one of the same gentlemen we sold it to is still uh, be part owner of it. How he hard was it to get twenty thousand dollars together back then? Well, uh, Bob made it a little easier because Bob had already had that success of Charlie Hooper's under mm-hmm. his belt. Yeah. So uh, okay. We had a real uh, nice guy, a, a cool banker, and uh, and he made it happen for us, and, and it was great. I mean, it was successful from the start. We had a great time with it. And what are some of the stories you remember running the Buzzard Beach? Any uh, any mayhem in there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, lots of that, Dick. So much mayhem. Um, St. Patrick's Day was was a wild wild west thing in those days Mm -hmm. i mean we would set up tables outside with full liquor and and people would it was just it was a totally different animal back in those days and and uh you know i was lucky to get out of there alive (laughs) and it was a huge day for us and that went on for quite a while but there was a great director of liquor control back in those days named george lukenhoff and he was an old school guy i mean he was he was a big, gruff ex-cop, probably was an ex-FBI guy for all I know, but he was on it. He mm-hmm. was, and he'd be like, all right, boys, you got to keep it under control and keep your nose clean. And and give me a beer. Don't do anything <laughs> wrong, and, and just, uh, yeah. we're going to let you do what okay. whatever feels right, boys, but just don't do anything stupid. Wow, wow. And, uh, you know, that was the old days of the, uh, he, he, he was a, a good bureaucrat, I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. And so we had a huge time on St. Patrick's Day, and and there was a, you know, you remember the seventies. There was mm-hmm. there was a lot of untoward licentiousness and things like that. <laughs> that we had to overlook Friday nights. We'd have steel drums and things like that out there. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> Buzzard was a lot of fun. And you know, back in those days, people find this hard to believe, but when we had it the buzzard is essentially unchanged the crowd is a lot different i mean in those days on a friday afternoon half of the people in there had a tie on half of the guys in there had a tie on Mm -hmm. yeah i mean that doesn't it's not quite the same vibe these days but yeah but it's been that same classic dive bar for all these years and those guys are still doing a great job with it and the kelly guys were down there same guys oh yeah yeah sure wonderful fellas yeah and Westport has changed a lot since then. 
but they still move on. They well, still it's keep changed, on. but it's the same, yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, one thing I remember uh, about Buzzard Beach being around the area was hookie laos. Oh, yeah, we would have roast pigs brought in and have hookie laos. And I was uh, a character named Loy Ho. Okay. You're... you're Lovely young host, Loy Ho, and that's kind of a takeoff on the Don Ho thing. But exactly. Yep. We had the Lays, and the Clam Jam Band would often make appearances there. That okay, was, yeah. That was that band. Let's talk about uh, the Clam Jam Band. Uh, maybe one of the most infamous bands around the area here. All original guys from the Kansas City area. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you remember any names of the guys who were in the band? I might... Of course I do. I remember all of them. Mm-hmm. And I might get in big trouble because okay. they, they're already... They're in respectable jobs right now. Well, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was... Uh, well, let's know. talk about just the Clam Jam Band itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always fascinated by some of the lyrics that came through with the Clam Jam mm-hmm. Band. Do you remember some of the titles of the songs? I think we're off the air here. We can actually do this on a podcast, so... Well, uh, yeah, yeah. We we sing songs about things like Johnson County. Um, yeah. Now, you know what, Dick? I can't tell you. I can't really tell you any of the titles, <laughs> just because things have uh, changed so much. Things have changed, <laughs> and there are groups of people who would hold me in yeah. low regard. I mean. Yeah, right I now, so. I am Probably in so. high regard. By you, well, you are. You're, you're quite the, the, the local businessman. Mm-hmm. Oh, some yeah. of those titles might uh, put a little notch into that. And we also might have people out front here of Diebel's uh, Cigar Bar doing some uh, picketing and things. Yes, yes, okay. absolutely. Yeah. But anyway, it was a good time. It was a lot back, of good fun then, stuff. You know, in context, it was great fun, yeah. And you guys uh, helped me out a lot, too. You, you went in. We set up a studio one time, and you guys recorded about an hour of stuff for my radio show. I remember so. that. We went to Tom the Birdman, Fish Fingers, Master of the Obvious, Mr. Amusement, Sluggo Potosic Studio down yeah. in Westport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or wait, I think people know him as Tom Potosic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and he had a uh, still does have a uh, he has the Westport Coffee House down there. And I he set had up my big... Ampex ten inch reel and we filled it up. Oh yeah, we did uh, all kinds of stuff that you used on your morning show. I think it was Power ninety five back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we did this great jingle. I thought it was, and it may be lost to the times. I mean, I don't know if you even have it anymore. I but... still am searching, but the lyrics were. Hey, Wilson. Hey, Wilson. You're Casey's favorite dick. Hey, Wilson. Hey, Wilson. You're Casey's favorite dick. Which we did back then in a city full of dicks back then. That's dick right. Berkeley was the mayor. Dick, dick Hauser. Hauser. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I claimed favorite dick status, and you, you guys do. sang it along for me. I still have, and I may be able to find this, and if I do, I'll, I'll play it. The jingle you sang for us for the snow Oh, yeah, yeah. The different, they used to have different uh, colors for the conditions of the weather or something. It was phase one or phase two oh, that's was what right. it was. And phase I think, one. well, matter of fact, here it is. You better have some snow tires on your car or get some chains up on your tires or you'll be busted by the cops if you should make that traffic stop. Phase one. Oh, it's in effect. Phase one. Better get them tires checked And if it gets any worse 
course it'll be phase two. Well, out of Westport, still in the Westport area, you move down the street, Pennsylvania, I think, a ways, and uh, hooked up with one of my old college buds, uh, Mike Fasoni. Oh, yes, indeed. Yeah. One of my favorites. And, and uh, Larry Garrett, who was his uh, partner in the firm, he was the, the copywriter. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Mike wrote copy as well, but Larry uh, had his own clients and and I collaborated started collaborating with Larry on advertising and wound up eventually moving from the Mill Street location down there where California's is uh, into an office there in Fasoni Garrett and I think I was there when the clams were doing that stuff for you yeah Uh, so I was still doing graphic design I was the associate creative director there at Fasoni Garrett and that was my first foray into uh, mainstream advertising at that time. Younger people may not realize this, but there were a large number of what we used to call advertising agencies in Kansas City. Oh, those big things. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. And uh, people did all kinds of stuff that people don't do much anymore. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And so... Like, big- use, like, like use local talent. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. There was there was local talent on the media and modeling and all kinds of fun stuff. And there was that was another crazy, crazy time. Uh, the advertising business in the early '80s, I think, was the tail end of that Mad Men era because the people still misbehaved at that level. Mm-hmm. And and that was that was a big part of my scene and add to the younger ad people would meet at the Buzzard Beach and and so that was all kind of a big fun circle. And uh wound up getting more into writing, uh, copywriting and then became a creative director, but still keeping a lot of association with uh, Fasoni and Garrett. Remember any projects you worked on back then that bring back to mind? Well, yeah, you know, kind of connected to what we were talking about with the radio stuff. Uh, Mike Fasoni came up with this campaign for Frank Ancona Honda. Okay. And uh, we were in a meeting and talking about, you know, what's next for Frank. And and we started talking about how many cars Frank had stacked up at that time. And Fasoni said, oh, he's got a jillion of these things. Mm Mm-hmm. And we kind of stopped for a second, and Jillian, he's got a Jillian Hondas. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so Mike started, uh, Mike was a creative guy. He started cranking out this uh, copy for uh, a service lounge singer in Frank Ancona's lounge. Okay. Because Frank had a new service lounge. Gotcha. And so Mike had this idea that he was going to turn me into the service lounge singer, uh, Loy Ho. We're again taking the old Loy Ho thing. And, okay. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Tom Potosik, the guy with the recording studio across the street, played the piano. And, and he was my accompanist, Fish Fingers. <laughs> and um, we did a campaign. Uh, that campaign must have run eight years, maybe ten years. And and I've got some of those uh cuts i'm gonna give you so all right let's get it on all right all right who's that guy with a jillian hondas hey that don't it make you want one frankie's got a jillian for you yeah hey good looking it's Lloyd ho frank Ancona's famous lounge singer <laughs> frankie told me to come on the radio and tell you about this special weekend at frank Ancona honda 
It's Loyho's Super Duper Lounge Lizard Sale. Hey, Frankie has over 300 new Hondas available on sale. Accords, Preludes, Civics, prices lower than a lounge lizard. Even me. Hey, these deals are so good you might want to buy two or three new Hondas, like Elvis or something. But hey, you Honda maniacs, this lounge lizard sails over when the last customer splits the store Saturday night. Come out to Frank and Kona Honda's lounge lizard sale. Frank and Kona Honda in Olathe, 127th and I-35. And when you get there, babe, remember, please be kind to Frankie. Please be kind to Frank and Kona. Yeah. Well, you know, while you were living in, in Westport, uh, uh, above Tories and those mm -hmm. kind of things, no. anything bizarre happened there that uh, you can share with us? Yeah, that was a, quite a strange place to live. I had a couple apartments up there. Mm -hmm. And uh, for a while, my buddy uh, Tim Wolf, who was a bartender for Jim Kramer over at the New Stanley, he was a great guy. He'd, he'd been around town quite a bit, Tim Wolf. Uh, now deceased, unfortunately. He uh, he was like I said, he was staying in one of my places, and I, I went shopping one Saturday morning to the grocery store. I think I went down to the little hippie store down on Main and was walking back home, and uh, there was some kind of action on the block. And you know, this is the morning, so it's kind of unusual. There mm -hmm. were police cars around. Usually quiet in Westport. Usually quiet. Yeah. And there were people gathering outside, and they saw me, and they went silent, and then there was all this, this, this mumbling, and I heard people saying, there he is, <laughs> and pointing at me. And <laughs> as I got closer, uh, the interest in my arrival intensified, and I looked up, and the windows of, of the apartment where Tim was, were, they were all blown out. Oh, my gosh. What happened? Well, I think he had a rough night. Uh, maybe he had trouble sleeping. I don't know. But he had blown the windows out with a shotgun. Oh, okay. All right. And uh, he had to go away for a little while and calm down. You know, that but is reminiscent of the Wild West of Westport, it isn't it? It was uh -huh. so wild back then. And, yeah. And, and the deal was back then, that was just a blip. <laughs> you know, that was like, hmm. Well, that was a little bit of an unusual morning. Yeah. Uh -huh. But, um, yeah, it was so crazy down there. Now, after Fasoni, uh, you moved and opened your own place again there on the corner um, and uh, opened up a couple other bars, too, right? That's right. Yeah, I went upstairs to uh, where Natural Wear uh, used to be. It's, it's a... Uh, nice burger restaurant now catter corner from kelly's and i had that whole floor i had a studio up there and i lived up there and uh the place where harry's uh, barn tables is now was kind of a, a sad spot it had been uh, you know it used to be the new stanley and i think a lot of the people who listen to the podcast remember the new stanley it was a great place run mm -hmm. by jim kramer a yeah. really good friend of mine it was kind of the center of the universe before uh before Fedora, uh, it was the hot mm -hmm. place. Everybody was there. And, then, and like the buzzard, it had closed down. Jim sold it. It had been several places, maybe three or four places. And it had kind of degenerated into a spot that, that had a couple of neon signs and a pool table and a bartender with his hat on backwards uh, reading go. the paper. It was, mm -hmm. it was not exactly tearing them up. And yeah. I approached the guy. I thought it needed something. It needed a new daddy, so I went in there and approached the guy, and 
I had a plan in the works for it. I was sitting there looking out over this thing every day at my office and uh, got up the uh, nerve to, to move forward with it and put a plan together for uh, a more uh, urbane sort of, uh, well, I wanted a cigar place, actually. And okay. th- this was before there were any cigar mm-hmm, yeah. places, but... And you could still smoke legally in these places. Mm-hmm. So I uh, put the idea together and talked to my uh, friend Harry, who was a bartender down at Fedora, about coming in uh, with me on it. He he joined me. Uh, he kept working at Fedora, but eventually he came over and, uh, and joined that effort. And we had a very good, very good run. And... and and it was still called Harry's Tables, right? Well, it's called Harry's Bar and Tables. Yeah. And uh, we kind of like the name Harry's from the Harry's Venice and mm-hmm. and uh, Florence and those places and thought it communicated the style we, we wanted to, to have in there. And so uh, it's had a very good run. We, uh, the, the gentleman who bought that, uh, it continues to operate it as far as I know it's still doing really well as is the buzzard beach and I uh, opened the cigar place mm-hmm. uh, the little cigar store called it John Bull sold that to a gentleman who renamed it Fidel's and he I think just sold it recently to a new owner but it's still growing and thriving down there okay and uh, that was probably let's see I think oh Zola Zola was, uh, I think it's now an Indian restaurant, but it was across the street and, and down uh, south a little bit from Harry's. And it was a really kind of a sexy restaurant and, and bar, a dark kind of an art bar. We mm-hmm. had several art shows there. Uh, my friend William S. Burroughs was in there frequently, uh, had a great art show with him fellow named David Levick made that happen, pulled that together, and got to know uh, William and uh, James Grauerholtz, his friend, and we had some uh, great times in there, and uh, Zola was a special place. It was kind of a forerunner of the gastropubs, one of the the first ones of those, and Mm -hmm. interestingly, I mean, it, Harry's and Zola, and a lot of people don't remember this, but they, they were the highest rated restaurant of the year in the star and and in the pitch oh cool when they were uh, operating even though they were mm-hmm. bars yeah. we, we really put a big emphasis on the food and the service and so uh we were actually i believe uh the only restaurant that had the same rating as we did was the american oh okay <laughs> yes. so, a few floors up a few floors <laughs> up you know you uh you kind of threw it off to the side as you went by, but let's talk about your friend Burroughs. Yes, and for those of you who do not know, a quick Google of William S. Burroughs tells you he was an American writer and visual artist. Burroughs hung out with other members of the Beat Generation, like Jack Kerouac and Allen Ginsberg. He was born in 1914 in St. Louis, Missouri, and died August 2nd, 1997, in Lawrence, Kansas. In the meantime, he hung out with Lloyd. Well, there was a local fellow, I haven't talked to him, I I don't know if he's around here still, but uh, he had, his name was David Levick, and he had some uh, 
he had a gallery and had some shows and had uh, I think br either brought William in to see Zolo or we had wound up getting together somehow but uh, William would come into town was he living out in Lawrence then? He was living in Lawrence, okay. and, he, and he'd come into town periodically to visit a doctor with Jamie, uh, or James Grauerholtz, who, with whom he lived in Lawrence, and, and the, we just started getting uh, acquainted, uh, better acquainted, and he would uh, come in and have lunch or dinner at Zola uh, or at Harry's, and uh, he was a lot of fun and a fascinating guy. He was... He was uh, really on in his years at that time. Um, I got to know him fairly well the last three years of his life, mm -hmm. and he was still a blast, really a lot of fun. Drank a lot with him and, and had dinners and other stuff and long conversations. So, well, uh, another, uh, another piece I remember is that we haven't mentioned yet is I didn't know you were a painter. Mm-hmm. And that you painted a Burroughs, and it's hanging on one of the restaurants it around is. the city. Yes, Dick, it is at a place, a really nice little spot uh, called the Jacobson. Mm -hmm. And it's down in the Crossroads District. It's it's a great place for, uh, it, it's got a nice bar, very good food, a lot of fun. But if you go in there, it's right front and center. When you walk in, you see this painting of, of William, and it was from his uh it was from the uh, piece that James Grauerholtz put together for his funeral. And it was the artwork on the, the cover of that. Okay. And I made mm -hmm. a large painting out of that. We shot a picture of you in front of it. You can throw that up on our YouTube uh, That's version right. of this That's thing. right. I've got a picture with you on it. There you it. go. That's yeah. right. Anything interesting you learned from Mr. Burroughs? Well, you know, I, I did learn a lot of stuff from him. And... Uh, Again, I'm going to plead the fifth on that. Okay, but I, good. But I'll tell you what, he, the end of the, the, the last week of his life, I really kind of regret this, but I was supposed to go, I was supposed to take dinner over there, have dinner with them, and I had a cold. Mm -hmm. And because he was elderly, I was really, you know, I did not want to give him a cold that would wind up. Right, sure, yeah. And so I talked to him on the phone, and his cat had just died. I think it was his favorite cat. Huh, and he was okay. very depressed about it. And I had a conversation with him, and I was kind of shocked by how depressed he was. And to tell you the truth, I think that is is what killed him. You think that's, that depression passed him on? I yeah. really do. I'll be darned. And so uh, that was my chance to uh, meet him. He was going to – I had opened a place uh, on the plaza called – well, it didn't have a name, and it was right there on the corner where the parkway is now. Right, yeah. And, it, and people called it the no name or the place without a name, but, you know, it was a fun spot, and, and William was going to give the name to it. Uh, so that was kind of the, the angle that we'd figured out is he liked the place. I said, all right, well, then you name it, and whatever you name it, That'll be the name of it. Okay. Yeah. And so that was kind of a fun way to. Wow. To, uh, and, uh, but he passed before he name. He did. Yeah. Both it and the no name eventually passed away without. Yeah. yeah. Without finishing that. So it was a piece of unfinished business. Cool. You know, a lot of good Burroughs stories. Uh, but, you know, a, a surprising celebrity is attached to uh, this whole thing. What was the deal on that? Um, yeah. But one, well. Kind of a weird deal. Uh, 
several years back when we were talking about Fedora before mm-hmm. uh, before Harry's. Yeah. Uh, that was a place where, you know, we talked about that with Joe Wilcox. That was kind of a, a great bar mm-hmm. at the time. And I was in there uh, frequently. And one night behind me, there was a lot of hubbub. And I, and, and seriously, I did not know who you two, the band was. You two, okay. You two. Oh, yeah. But um, somebody kept yelling, Edge at this guy right oh, behind me okay. uh, right right over this little partition right behind me and you being Loy Edge snapped your head around to see what was going I on I did I, a few times mm-hmm, and then pretty yeah. soon I thought well that's it's such an unusual name and and I walked over to this guy and, and I said excuse me is your name Edge and he said yes yes that's my name well not really my name's blah 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 but mm-hmm, yeah. call me Edge and really nice guy and uh huh I, had a stocking it, cap on, probably. It probably yeah. did, mm-hmm, yeah. and we had a we chatted for maybe twenty seconds. I told him that was my name too, and we had a laugh. And all of a sudden, this little guy comes up and and gets in my face and tells me to leave him alone. Oh, okay. And I said, "What are you talking about?" Well, it was Bono, <laughs> and and I guess because I didn't give him the proper. Uh, uh, I, I, I just said, what are you talking about? And then he got really hot, and, and it's like all of a sudden everybody around him started holding him back, like the Frank Sinatra, hold me back, hold me back. Oh, okay, thing. all right, okay. And I just kind of laughed, and, and uh, you know, everybody kind of apologized <laughs> and said, well, he's got a big temper and all that. And I said, well, he's got something big at least. And <laughs> yeah. Went back to drinking and, and thought, well, I guess that's Bono. Okay. And then, uh, so strangely enough, that night, uh, one of the nights, uh, Burroughs was in Zola, and we were having dinner with uh, his, uh, with James and a couple of other friends, and I think James McClary from Lawrence, some some other folks, and and we were all having Zola, uh, dinner at Zola, and uh, I think Larry McEnany and, and Nancy McEnany. But uh, William wrapped it up kind of early, and I was walking home, and I saw there was a big deal going on outside at Harry's, okay. out on the patio. Mm-hmm. And I saw that the U2, uh, the U2 uh, manager was sitting out there, Paul, okay. who I remembered from, he was one of the guys apologizing back at Fedora. <laughs> okay. And yeah. I talked to him, and well, what's going on? Oh, well, uh, the, the guys were doing a shoot with William Burroughs on a on a promo today and so we came over here and you two had had taken the top part of the outdoor patio for a little private party okay just kind of an impromptu thing well i looked up and you know the caboose out there it's like a yeah. hundred some years old right it's rotted out mm-hmm. and very thin wood and rotted and there's some somebody up on the deck uh, up on top of it with a hoodie on squirt gunning people Okay. In a black hoodie. Yeah. So I went up there and said, yelled at the guy to get down, you know, in colorful language. But I was really, you know, I was worried this guy's going to fall through this thing and sue me. Right. Yeah. Well, it was Bono. (laughs) And Bono's arguing with me. There you go. And I'm saying, get your ass down. And he doesn't want to come down. And he's calling me all kinds of names. And we get in each other's face. Well, but he's kind of, he gets in my chest. And 
and staring staring each other down. Ready, you know. Uh, again, it's like ready to come to blows. There was nobody to hold him back. Yeah. Uh-huh. So then finally, he he realized that. You know, he, he didn't really want to fight. And yeah. he said, well, mate, could I have a cigarette? <laughs> so uh, I gave him one of my uh, uh, cigarettes, and, and then we were... Uh, Microfiltered? Yeah, it was no filter. Oh, no filter. It was okay. a camel. And, yeah, but okay. I think it was probably the last non-filter he's had. But wow. we uh, everything calmed down something? at that point. But my two gosh. times I've met Bono... And both were physical altercations. Well, I understand he has a uh, you know a, a, a thing out for you now to not get close to him, probably. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I have. A, I'm yeah. sure there is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. But I've never heard about him having a temper. But I'm telling you, he does. Mm. Well, you spent many years around Westport and the Kansas City area and thing, and then the West Coast called, and it was the move to Los Angeles. Yeah, that was a really bizarre one. I'll tell you, uh, I didn't see that one coming. How did you decide? You know, you hadn't been a big voiceover person prior to that. No. But uh, went out there to see what uh, fortune you could bring along. You might say that, but I didn't even have a plan. I didn't even know I was going out there. Oh, okay. What happened was I uh, I had really been talking to the folks in Dallas who... Uh, owned Deep Ellum and Lower Greenville, which are two of the nightclub areas. And I had a good friend uh, who was in town. Where I was a consultant for the Nichols Company at mm-hmm. that time. They were redoing the plaza, and okay. And uh, this was pre High Woods and all that. And uh, that was one. And and so I was working with this one guy, and 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 he had kind of arranged for this thing in Dallas and so I was getting ready to leave Kansas City and this was a great gig and meanwhile uh, a couple of guys who worked with me at my ad agency Bill Bigger and uh, Dave DeRay who had gone on to LA were working for Warner Brothers and I got this call from them and they said you've really got to come out here and audition for Foghorn Leghorn the chicken okay yeah and I said well why and they said because they can't find anybody. You know, Mel Blanc had died. Okay. And they said they really are not happy with any of the people they've auditioned. And, <laughs> and you do the chicken. Just and you when you've done it, yes. Yeah, when you're drinking in a bar, you do the chicken better mm-hmm. than these guys. So why don't you come out and audition for it? Well, I, I went down to Wheeler Audio. I laid down about uh, 30 or 40 little snippets of cartoon voices on a cassette. Yeah. Mailed it. You know, with a stamp and an envelope for those <laughs> younger envelope. people today. I didn't just send a file. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. And, uh, you know, several days later, I get a call back. Oh, they want to hear you audition. So uh, I never had any intention of going to L.A., never any interest in it. And But I got on a plane, went out there, uh, did the audition, and uh, wound up booking Foghorn Leghorn and and. And Dave told me, and you also booked uh, Elmer Fudd. <laughs> so I had no idea what I was doing, but I'm out there, and apparently I'm now... Uh, <laughs> You're now a, a big yeah. hitter out there. All right, now let's let's step back just a little bit. Do you have that audition still tape around? I, otherwise, I'm going to make you do Foghorn here. Well, I never had the audition tape because they, they made you do it. And then oh, and then it was gone. Yeah. They're probably going to play that. You know, when I'm uh, yeah. when there's a high-profile arrest or something. 
So you're out in L.A., you've scored big, and I'm sure the big challenges kept coming to you and the big opportunities. Well, since I didn't really go out there with any of that in mind, uh, the reality was I had no idea what was happening. I knew that I had to go into this session now and and perform these things well okay voiceover is a lot more than just making a voice you've got to act especially mm-hmm. when you're in you know this is animation so uh, although it was a it was a kid rhino record it was still acting so i i went into this room and all these pros who are bugs bunny uh you know uh, Porky Pig, all these people that Sylvester, they're all in the room and they've been doing these voices forever and they're top-notch pros and I'm the only guy ever who's been in a room like that who's never done anything okay, professionally. I so yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing. I, I, I get through this thing and it takes two days and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I did okay, if I ruined it, whatever. But uh, apparently it went fine. You know, the piece got produced and and then I'm I'm back at at the Warner Brothers edit bay where uh, where Bigger is, and somebody walks down the hall when he's playing my cassette tape, and this lady sticks her head in and said, "Who's that?" And Bill said, "Oh, that's my buddy Loy from Kansas City." She says, "Well, I've got a a friend at William Morris Agency that I need him to meet." I didn't know what that meant, yeah, uh-huh. William Morris Agency. Sure. Uh-huh. So I got. Ah! So I, so I go over there and I and I, I meet with this guy. Uh, his name's Eric Seastrand. He's a talent agent and went in his office and he goes, "Is this all you got? Is this cassette with that I knocked out at Wheeler?" I said, "Yeah, that's it. I I, mm-hmm, I, yeah. I just kind of knocked out that." He goes, "You don't have any like commercials you worked on or?" I don't. And I got up and I said, I, you're very kind. Thank you so much for meeting with me. I, yeah, you know, uh-huh. I, I appreciate, I realized, well, you know, I'm out of my league in this place. And, yeah. and he goes, no, 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 sit down. I'll represent you. <laughs> and so, uh, I, uh, I'm out there and this is about week two. Eric has agreed to represent me and I got my SAG card. Mm-hmm. And, and I got this job under my belt, and they're all, all these guys, there are several people from Kansas City out in L.A., and they want Lloyd to stay out there so that they have somebody else to drink with. Sure, there you go. That's yeah. really what it's all about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they, uh, they're telling me, you got to stay. you got to stay in L.A. you got your SAG card. you got an agent. you got, you, you know, people spend years trying to do that. you you just got to yeah. stay. So I didn't. I listened to him, I, and so I stayed 11 years, and that's, <laughs> and that's what I did. For 11 years, I did uh, commercials and cartoons and, and still have the same wonderful agent and cool. lots of great friends from that place. I mean, I could go on about what that experience was like because it was bizarre. Do you have any of the commercials Oh yeah. Audio. Now that I do have. I, I've got quite a few of those and, and some right. auditions, and in fact, we can tag on I'll put together uh, just some recent auditions so people can hear what kind of stuff. Okay, good. Because I still do a lot of this from Kansas City, and I do some yeah. locally mm-hmm. uh, with exposure and some okay. other folks and some direct work. But um, most of it still comes uh, through uh, L.A. And, and William Morris. Okay, which is a rarity because William Morris uh, is notorious for 
using fewer people that aren't in L.A. or Chicago or New York. That's right. You know. You've almost got to already have established work with them. I mean, you're prior. You're uh, in. Birdsall's in. Jim Birdsall uh, is is a Tom is, in. Well, now Tom has probably uh, has different agents in yeah. L.A. Jim Birdsall and I have the same agent. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and when and I say Tom, I'm talking about Kane. Tom Kane, who Tom does Kane, all who, a lot of the movie stuff, trailer guy. things. Yeah, and, and there stuff are there. several big, big names from Kansas in voiceover City, yeah. from Kansas City. Yeah. I don't know. It's something in the water. I guess must be, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, they're the famous, a lot of people heard of Dick Wilson. He's he's from here, too. Well, that'll be on another podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah so. it will. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, there are so many from Kansas City uh, that are doing very well that are out there. and and uh, But as far as Kansas City people... There was a young lady. This was the funniest thing. Do you remember Deanna Hurst? I remember Deanna. She was on my radio program. She was on your radio program. Power 95 Days. And mm-hmm. when I was on, I was a, that's something we haven't talked about. Mm-hmm. When you were on Power 95, I would come in and right. we would do shtick. Yes, we would. And you would splice it together with the old reel-to-reel with the razor blade. That's how long ago that was for there you, you go. young kids. Let's listen to a little of that right now. All right. Mr. Wilson, this is Jimmy in the mailroom. Jimmy, we're on the air trying to do our program. Could you call back? I'm having some problems down here i'm trying to wrap up that package you wanted me to send back oh jimmy i don't want to talk about this on the air jimmy and it's inflated again jimmy uh, and i can't get Gigi's head back in the box jimmy i don't want to talk about how come she has such a startled look on her face yeah head down there a little hungry this morning what do you got this morning on the truck oh it's you i got some frozen burritos uh some spam and pineapple some Vienna sausages. That's it? Well, I was hoping for something a little more exotic, exciting, special. Special? You want special? <laughs> okay, here, maybe you want some nice silverware. Yeah, how about a candelabra? You want one of those too? Yeah. Damn, buddy. How about for special? Uh, 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 And then what about Deanna? Uh, well, so I'm auditioning one day out there, probably about 10 years ago, and I see this gal, and it's like, man, is she familiar looking to mm-hmm. me. Could not figure out the connection. And and she said, I vaguely recall you. Uh, and, you know, being from, finally figured out there was a Kansas City connection. Uh, we finally landed on that. And then I realized, well, this was... I worked with her in your studio. That's right. So yeah. I think she's still with uh, the same agent out there. And That was back in the day when we had four or five people on the morning show staff before it went to the cheap people. That's right. <laughs> Matter of fact, here's Deanna Hurst on one of the marvelous parody songs she did. This one about Madonna. Last night I dreamt I was grateful. So sick of who I am People will maybe remember. What did you call your butler? 
Uh, Henry Bergdorf Bloomingdale. That would be Gerard B.A. Seymour yes, at uh-huh. your service. Yes, uh-huh. Who was another story. Uh, I yeah. introduced Jerry to the Dick Wilson show. I don't That's know if right. you remember yes. that. Yes. Yes. Music Power 95. Henry Bergdorf Bloomingdale with our daily charge. When people wrestle with their conscience, it's a sure bet that their conscience will lose. All right, Henry, put your T-shirt back down and quit reading your tattoos on the air. Okay, yeah. All right. So you're out in L.A. and Mm -hmm. you're, uh, you know, with the friends and you're and you're uh, sleeping on the floor of of, uh, a friend's place out there. Yeah, I I, bigger. I uh, went. (laughs) He had a big apartment, and like I said, I had no intention of of being there in the first place or staying there. Mm But now I've kind of gotten this. I've gotten this agency and uh, this agent, and and I'm out there. So I'm staying at Bigger's place and and basically couching it there. Okay. And uh, I get an audition for uh, California Lottery, and and I get this gig. So I don't know anybody. Well, a handful of people, Ed Kerr, and some other Kansas City people that are great friends. Yeah. Uh huh. Sure. But generally, I'm kind of a. I'm a man without a. I don't have a car. I don't have a place. I'm just out there, okay, floating around, and have kind of just made this this vague commitment to to be living out there. And and all of a sudden, I book this California lottery thing, and my voice is everywhere, TV, radio. <laughs> don't know a soul, but I'm hearing myself everywhere from the couch. <laughs> and and this was a, a typical of my LA experience, which was um, had these great big exciting things that that quickly fizzled into uh oblivion okay so i'm the voice of the lottery and then sag goes on strike oh good okay and i so they immediately kill it so here's this huge gig Mm -hmm. i mean the guy's the guy's kind of giggling when i'm in there he's recording he goes oh you're gonna love being the voice of the lottery (laughs) yeah really and uh, so that was like uh, pretty disheartening uh, because then it was it, it went away as quickly as it came. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And then it was just back to the usual little. Uh, you know, the industry was still really good then. You could. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like a uh, very tightly knit little group, and I stumbled into this thing, and I, I didn't have. I had no idea what I was doing, and 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 I'm there with the big boys, so. I would go to these auditions and I would just watch what other people were doing. Oh, they walk up, they pick up a piece of paper, they sign something, and then they sit down. And I, mean, okay, I, was, I was that lost. Right. I, I mean, I don't think I don't know if anybody has ever been thrown into that level of this without oh. any experience. They, you know, the booth director would say, "Give me three, and I didn't know whether to do push-ups what? or <laughs> what I'm supposed to do. And and people thought I was a joker, you know, uh-huh, a yeah. smart aleck guy. He's acting like he doesn't know what that direction means. Yeah. Uh, but then the I think the granddaddy of the L.A. Uh, bizarre experiences was the uh, Donald Trump Apprentice Program. All right. Yeah, was sure. A TV show that would have exactly. been talked about. Yeah. And uh, a friend at NBC had had talked to this other guy who was a producer he was he was a drummer for tom jones and and Mm -hmm. and had become a a music producer and he and his associates were working with uh with burnett uh 
the the creator Mark Burnett Mark Burnett yeah uh -huh. of of the show called The Apprentice that right. was in the works mm -hmm. and so they had had a female vocalist do this uh, number that he'd written that uh, Burnett and Trump and you know everybody kind of they wanted to, sort of a Sinatra type swing sound. Mm -hmm. He called me up and said, can you come in? And they, they didn't want a female vocalist. We tried that. We pitched it. They wanted a male vocalist. So I went in and, and I laid down these tracks. And this was the theme song for The Apprentice. Before it went on the Before air. Before it went on the air. All nobody, setting it up. Okay. It yeah. was, and, and nobody knew really what it was about. There was a little, a couple of paragraphs that I got that kind of talked about, mm -hmm. well, this Donald Trump, uh, who's a big New York business guy, he yeah. brings in these people and he tries them out and to try to get them to, you know, uh, become his apprentice. And so I had a, again the cassette, <laughs> and I made some, uh, I made a couple of uh, little runs at some bumper music. Okay. And and I wrote a thing. I I thought, well, it would be cool if in this show. When the people didn't make it, he said, you're fired. Oh, come on. I, I, I kid you not. Uh-huh, yeah. And so I did these little bumpers about, you're fired. Uh-huh. You're fired. And I just made this stuff up. And, yeah. And I put this and several other little ideas on this cassette and gave it to the producer. Mm-hmm. Not, not Burnett's producer, but the music producer. Okay. And then I didn't hear anything for a while. And then a week later, he said, well, come on in. We'll lay down this music track and send it in. Now, this is a true story. I have no idea if they came up completely independently with all these things. Yeah. But the you're fired thing came on to me like a big light bulb. Oh, yeah. When uh -huh. I saw the, the idea of the story. Sure. Because America needed to hear "You're Fired" at that time, uh -huh, and, yeah. and being a writer, that was the, it was cathartic, and I knew <laughs> that it was magic. So they probably came up with it. Who knows? Yeah. Anyway, uh, did this song, and uh, I've got it. I'm gonna. Uh, we can. All right, let's put it on. Let's put that on. Okay. Tick tock, tick tock, time is ticking. Out that door, I'll soon be slipping. Okay, so right, that was the, great. Yeah, yeah so no. that was the original theme Why song. Why didn't we hear it? Well, here's what happened. I got a call from the guy. He said, Trump loves it. Burnett loves it. They signed a contract. It's a go. They, they bought it. So they had a big party. The producers did. Crystal, champagne, Cuban cigars. Okay, yeah. All kinds of people way cooler than me, and they were all out on a lawn celebrating it. Were you there? Oh, yeah, I was there. Okay, all right. And they were all coming up to me going, you know, Trump is listening to this in his limo. He can't get enough of it. 
uh, he wants you to go on when he's promoting the show, like on the Tonight Show and things. He wants you to come on okay. and sing this to introduce him. Uh huh. Now, this this is pretty crazy stuff. But I had just come off of this uh, this experience with the lottery, so I kind of was I was just very suspicious of all things L.A. at this time. <laughs> So I drank the champagne and smoked the cigars. Uh-huh, and, yeah, yeah. But I, I really did reserve my uh, uh, optimism a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this sounded pretty cool, i got to say. I mean, it, well, yeah, it, it, sure. this is going to be a fun opportunity. And, and millions of dollars, which isn't bad. I mean, you like that. And what happened was nothing. And there was no nothing. call. No call. Silence. Radio silence, mm-hmm. and and I realized that in L.A. as opposed to other places, um, bad news travels slowly. Okay. Slowly. All right. Because it wasn't until the day before the show that I found out that they had plugged in the O.J.'s money, 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 money. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, the sto- I heard two stories. I heard a story that some guy, a producer at NBC, hated jazz. And didn't want anything Sinatra-like on there. Okay. And then I heard that it was that it was a uh, an advertiser that didn't that, oh. that, that thought it was not serious enough for the program. I'll be darned. But it didn't matter because sign contract or not, it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Wow. And and so that's just the uh, just another. That's an that's another one of those another uh, Boulevard of Broken Dreams story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Boulevard. But, you know, that show went on to be kind of a success. Kind of. It ran for a few seasons. Yeah. And the guy's doing something else now. I'm not sure what. I, you know, yeah, I but wonder what happened on, to him. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. He's like me. I guess he's a has-been. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to look it up and see if Trump's... Maybe we'll get him on a podcast sometime. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He'd probably do the podcast. I think so, yeah. And uh, We provide transportation. Anyway, Donald, I know you're probably a regular listener of Dick and Loy's Media Marketing, uh, whatever, whatever it is. It is. Yeah. But uh, if so, um, you probably need a lounge singer now, an official White House lounge singer. I would singer. think so, yes. Uh-huh. Cool. So, so I could do that. Maybe you'll show up on the DVD History of the Apprentice. Mm. Huh? Mm-hmm. There you go. That might work it. Yeah. Or I could be with Omarosa. Oh, <laughs> good deal. You know, L.A., a big movie town. Uh, any connection with some movies that we might see you in on some walk-ons or something like that? Yeah. Uh, one thing about being out there uh, that's fun is, especially, well, the voiceover world is weird because out there you go into the agency and everybody is together in this big holding tank. And it's like a big dry cocktail party every day with all these colorful characters you got actors mm-hmm. uh, you've got people you recognize from old sitcoms you know who was that oh I was talking to Billy Moomy from okay you know, sure or, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm, yeah or the guy that was Dobbs from F Troop and all these uh, you just <laughs> yeah. everybody you talk mm-hmm. to has got some story that's one of the things that makes LA so fun is yeah everybody's got even a story. the garage attendant has got stories yeah. you know oh, well I work for Art, Art that, Linkletter and that guy I'll yeah. tell you he was something <laughs> so you get to know all these these old announcers and actors and all these people. And what happens is, just by being out there, everybody's tuned into the film thing. And they're like, you know, I got a, I got a role in this film. I, w- I want to, it, it's, it's made for you. It's, uh-huh, it's yeah. a, 
Uh, you know, it's a fat, bald, angry guy with a beard. And <laughs> Ching! <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there was a, there's a guy in Kansas City, I mean in L.A., who was from Springfield, mm-hmm. who knew a lot of, we had mutual friends, uh, named Brent Huff. And he's a, a director and producer. He was He's uh, an actor. He was a, a big male model back in the, the 70s. And yeah. And did uh, all kinds of films, and and he got me into a couple of his productions, and one of them, he said, you know, I want you to uh, look at this, this one I'm doing, uh, that is, you know, I've got a role for you as a as a priest because I think you'd be good for this, and it shoots in Kansas City. Oh, so. Uh, I said, well, I know that place. You yes. Know, uh-huh. I can come back. So it, a lot of people might remember the movie that Tatum O'Neill was in. It was shot here. It was called Last Will. Okay. And that was one of Brent's films where I actually was a, had a principal role. And my scenes were all with Tatum. And I was, okay. a, I was a priest. I have seen some pictures of you wearing the, the collar. That's right. I uh-huh. was Father Kellum. And yes. that was fun. I, uh, it was really, it was October and it was really cold. But... Mm-hmm. But we did all kinds of scenes down in the bottoms and shot in Independence and shot in uh, at, at the old, uh, I think it's the East Vale, Eastwood, that cemetery over there on Independence Avenue. Yes, okay, the big cemetery. Really cool cemetery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shot scenes all over town. It was, was a this lot a of horror fun. thing? No, it was thing? not. It was, okay. a, uh, it was a film about, um, it was kind of a mystery. It was a... I don't know what category it would be in, but there was mm-hmm. there was murder involved. And well, what do you say we get on YouTube and find that movie, and then find the Loy Edge scene of many that there were with Tatum O'Neill? I'm absolutely sure that my husband has no idea that this property looks like this. Yeah, well, his brothers know all about it. They buy up the properties on the cheap. They tear down all the buildings. And then they put up high-rise condos, which is great, unless you're one of the people who loses your home. And you've been living down here for years, and you've got no hope of being able to afford to relocate. You know what the economy is like right now. Isn't there any way they can get some sort of federal assistance? I'll level with you, Ms. Emery. A lot of the tenants are illegals. The issue is compassion. You're an Emory now. The Emory's own this town. You can help. I want you to meet someone. Different. I'll be darned. What but was Tatum it, like? Um, I mean, would, did she talk to you when you weren't she, doing lines at all? Yeah, or? Tatum, you know, she's a wonderful girl. She, she, was, uh, she was very... Um, a little bit high strung on that one and there you know there was there was a little bit of tension here and there but she was very nice to me and i think i think it's because i had the roman collar on probably so yeah, yeah everybody yeah. treated me uh, yes, uh-huh. kindness and respect <laughs> even though i they was, thought you might have been a real guy they did yeah even mm-hmm. though i was uh probably screwing up their scenes that's right and fresh off the couch in la that's right <laughs> So uh, Brent was more than kind to put me in those films, but that was a uh, big experience. I, I'll be darned. One of the fun things, you know, I, I was in a few of them, a few different films, 
But the thing that is really uh, difficult about being in a film is that when it's your scene and the camera's on you and yeah. you look around and you realize how much money is being burned every second. Uh-huh, okay. And, and how all it takes is for you to screw the scene up and all of that comes crashing down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just not used to that, you know, $20,000 per minute yeah. pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're trying to remember stuff. Oh, so boy. That was yeah. And you weren't big enough to laugh it off like the big guys do, you know, when they stumble. So, Not yet. Yeah. Son, one of these days, Dick. Cool. Okay. Well, you know, acting a big thing out in Los Angeles, but uh, rarely do you know of a guy creating a bank while he's in los angeles that's right that was just another hobby no that was it was a uh an old associate from uh named kurt knutson who we had kept in touch uh i i had worked with uh several guys uh bob mccall and several other great guys at a place called Boatman's Bank. Okay, I remember that. And and they were a client of mine. Mm-hmm. And I worked with uh, Bill Nelson and several of them uh, way back in the 80s. They had become kind of a regional bank at that time. And I helped them coordinate their, their new business presentations. Okay. And uh, Kurt was one of the fellows I worked with. And, and we got to talking one day. He said he was opening a bank, which was quite an unusual thing for a, a guy to be a new doing. bank a yeah. new bank mm-hmm. yeah starting from okay. scratch so we worked together on this concept and i you know i he had been very familiar with harry's and zola and all those places and wait so we went way back and and i said uh I'd love to work with you on it and i started hitting him with all these crazy ideas of how it had to be done completely differently from any bank that had ever been built in the world. <laughs> okay. Because banks suck. That's going back a few years. All right. Yeah. Yes. I said, banks suck. You know, they're, it's a broken model. Mm-hmm. And I'm explaining this to him. And he's like, okay, I've got everybody I know invested in this bank. And you're telling me that you want to do it completely differently from any other bank. <laughs> so we, we wound up... Uh, soldiering through that little obstacle and creating the bank that's uh, out on 143rd and Metcalf called Freedom Bank. What was different about this bank? What ideas did you come up with? Well, uh, there were banks that I went to in L.A., in Beverly Hills to be more specific, that were so bad. And they were right at Beverly and Wilshire. I mean, this uh-huh. is very, you know... A very exclusive part of town, and and you'd go in there, and the treatment there was the same as if you were going to some crummy little. I mean, they were, you know, I really have to go to the bathroom. We don't have a bathroom for customers. Yes, okay. Like, well, you know, so you're, they're telling people with you know twenty million dollars in the bank that they've got to go, yeah. they've got to hold it, get back in line. Yeah, <laughs> but just everything about them were so typically uh, dysfunctional. Okay. And so, really, I had I'd been working on these ideas of how this industry has to change its delivery system, its delivery model, for a long time, and started sharing all these ideas with Kurt, and and he got it. He he understood, and he knew that I wasn't just pulling it out of nowhere because yeah. he'd 
was familiar with the way that I, I worked in marketing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what we, what did we do? We we said, uh, well, it's going to be designed from a customer's perspective. So when you walk in there, you don't get into uh, you don't walk into where the stanchions are and stand in a queue. Mm-hmm. There's a concierge that greets you. Uh, you have private booths to do your transactions. Okay. Uh, there's a all kinds of comfortable places, magazines, music, j- nice jazz, fresh fruit, cappuccino. Mm-hmm. Okay. You've got a place to go and have these amenities and little nooks and crannies where you can go do work or meet with people. And it has a catering kitchen in it. And, I mean, you know, at the point when we built, when we actually made it happen, and that was probably about... 12 years ago now so it was on the on the design board 14 15 years ago wow it was the first bank in the world that was like that yeah okay a lot of people are very excited by capital one's new concept i've seen the ads on that yeah. yes okay it looks well, like you're walking into a phone store or something you know? that's yeah. right mm-hmm. well yeah they're probably halfway where we were 15 mm-hmm. years ago. So wow. congratulations to Capital One. But wow. we, we opened this and had a lot of success with it, and people love it. It's been a great model and a very... Is the bank still open? Still oh, going? yeah, it's doing great. Uh, I, I really recommend that if anybody out in South Overland Park wants to see what a... Uh, what an innovative thing this is they need to go in there and check it out freedom bank freedom bank yeah okay and uh yeah of course it's doing well and and it's it's still miles and miles ahead of of any of the other bank companies and how they approach things so that was a, a long project i think i collaborated on that through the whole development of the company and probably spent 10 years on that project wow, working yeah. with them. Very so cool. That was kind of a, a different tangent from the acting, you might say. I'm getting an, a renaissance man feel here about the whole thing. So You mean uh, that's a nice way of saying lack of focus? I think so, yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, let's move out of the banking industry for a moment and move you over to KCUR, the public... Uh, radio station here in town and i think there's something that goes on still today that you were instrumental in organizing that uh, they don't know about what is that yeah well, and that was indirectly but uh i K- kcur was this this goes back to the uh westport days again yeah. and uh, uh i was doing a little bit of uh volunteer work for that radio station uh my buddy Larry Garrett from Fasoni Garrett, he mm-hmm. and I were on there doing some fundraisers, and I got a little bit interested in that project. Uh, you know, there weren't a lot of options in those days for for uh, any kind of radio. You yeah. you were either listening to music mm-hmm. or which you know, I I like it, but I I couldn't listen to music all day. Mm-hmm. And uh, the great Mike Murphy was about the only type of talk show format that was on at that time yeah, except sure. for public radio mm-hmm. and so um i got uh, i got introduced to a guy named robert barrientos who i still work with now and then he's okay. a great character around town i he's, know the name yeah he's a fun guy he's done a lot of things he was the development director at kcur at that time and he he and i started collaborating on some projects and one of the th- 
things that we needed to do was to come up with a new idea on how do we stir up some interest in uh, membership. And, and, and uh, I was walking around the plaza one day and, and, saw, and went into the little galleries. There were only a few of them here. And I thought it would be good to combine the galleries opening days. None of the galleries did that at that mm-hmm. time. Yeah. And, and mix some booze. Mm-hmm. and some food mm-hmm. and maybe some music with that okay. so we tried it on the plaza and it there wasn't enough density to really make that much of a difference and we moved down to westport and we did it a couple of times there bats lawrence gallery and a couple others and you know we'd get some art institute kids and some older people and we'd have drinks and yeah we'd convince the uh, galleries to, to share the same opening night with their artists and it became kind of a Friday night social happening mm-hmm. and there are reasons psychological reasons why I decided to try this but it worked you know it has something to do with mixing young people with uh, booze and food and sure music. exactly but, yes yeah nothing can go wrong there and then uh, one day I was riding the bus over the the bridge to downtown coming back to midtown and and there was kind of a you know there there wasn't much going on but there was that that little district where the opie brush company had some artists and some galleries and and uh some of the bigger galleries that are still in business were down there and then there were several art studios over by the on the other side of the bridge where that place where you used to practice photography, the Blue Orchid Studios. Oh, that place. Yeah. Yeah, okay. You yeah. know, back uh, yeah. over there, there, right. there were a lot of artists, and I thought it would be great to combine all these areas and try to pull everybody together to have a, okay. a Friday night party. All right. So we got, we had access to the uh, trolleys. Okay. So <laughs> right. in the middle of the winter, we decided we would put on a Friday night art crawl. And we got some of the artists. Now, the galleries, most of them would not participate because they did not want to share their opening night. They thought, uh, oh, you know, okay. we're not going to have our opening with the other galleries because that's my night. And, uh, yeah, that's me. Yeah. So uh, a few of them did. Mm-hmm. And and we put it together, and we got Greg Johnson from Minsky's. He brought wine and right. food. And, Good. And, and then uh, Rich, who had uh, beauty warehouse or uh, one of those gosh what was it beauty brands i can't remember but Mm -hmm. uh, a great guy and and barrientos and a couple of others and and we had these deals and we had a couple of them well what happened was thousands of people showed up (laughs) it was a it was way out of control Uh everybody loved it Mm mm-hmm and and the gallery saw oh my gosh this is really something so then they they participated in the second one now you know, it's good we've got people down here now we've it's a never good idea. had people yeah. down here so it was a good idea and there was no crossroads district so right. this was before all that okay but what happened was we we started this this concept here mm-hmm. in town that hadn't been tried that I am aware of before and it, it kind of caught on and when the gallery started filling, when the crossroads happened, and and the you know there were some innovative gallery owners mm-hmm. that that put together their own deal, and uh, it is now kind of a big deal. It is kind of a big deal. Yes, 
But first really, Fridays. that was, uh, you know, we were the first ones wow. to get out there and do that. You remember what year that might have been? About what year that might yeah, have been? Yeah, uh, that was about mm, 92, I believe. Mm-hmm. Not sure about that. I still have the T-shirt. Oh, okay. It's uh, Charlie Poderberg did the cartoon. Yeah. It was called Kansas City, a place that's crawling with artists. <laughs> <laughs> it was a it was a Friday night art crawl. That's great. And so Gosh. it started out as a KCUR fundraiser. Who would have guessed? Did you make any money for KCUR? Oh or was yeah, it just a good time. Yeah, yeah, it worked. I mean, we got a lot of attention, and and there were great. We uh, Robert and I brought in some great advertisers that are still there with them. Uh, yeah, Californos. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, Fasoni Garrett is still advertising with them. Morrison and Hacker, that law firm. Uh, yeah. Now they're. Uh, you know, their name has changed a bit, but they're still with them. And uh, several others, uh, great sponsors. Minsky's, of course. Yeah. Still. Very cool. In there. And and so that was a, I think that was a, they look at that and say that was a big success. Yeah. First Fridays. So many things in the Loy Edge story. Let's talk about current stuff. What's going on now? Well, Dick, everything kind of keeps you know, it, it kind of keeps coming together mm-hmm. as it goes apart. Okay. It's, there's a lot of spaghetti always on the wall <laughs> and pieces falling off and uh-huh, yeah. some of it comes out pretty well. Mm-hmm. Right now, uh, a lot of it had to do with um, building businesses and having a lot of big setbacks and some successes and just going through that whole process. One of the things that was a running theme through that that whole thing is communications mm-hmm. that's really always been the basis of my business is my company was called edge communications design right that was my agency and and what i've discovered in every business no matter what size the the thing where there is not enough emphasis is effective communications Within the company. Within the company. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Uh, and the way left back, hand doesn't know what the right hand. That's doing. right. And and it's it's where all the chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I hate to sound cynical, but you know, whatever company you have, especially if it's a family business mm-hmm. or closely held business, you've got a lot of people on board who have no interest in communicating efficiently because it takes work and it takes discipline. Right. And you've got a lot of toxic people in your company who, who use that cloud, that vagueness to to avoid and deny and all these other logical fallacies to create chaos in your company. And it's really just sand in the gearbox. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I wanted to do was come up with a plan and a structure that would be conducive to effective communication so that people can attract and retain the best people. The only way to do that is to create a culture where people get credit, where credit is due. It's transparent. You have accountability. And the way to do that is through effective communications. And and, and what I mean by that is you need a disciplined plan that will bring everybody's, like a pulse through the business, everybody's thoughts, everybody's observations, everybody's criticisms, everybody's ideas flowing through the company upwardly and then back down again. Okay. That's what I focus on uh, is helping businesses create that system. You know, in the restaurant field, it's really bad. Mm-hmm. In, at, but in manufacturing, every other, I've worked with uh, 
banks, with uh, law firms, accounting firms, manufacturers, it doesn't matter. Any kind of business, really, the, to me, the big stumbling block is that they are not communicating effectively. And every business is three things. It's whatever your core competency is, whatever that thing is, that widget or that service is that you produce, and you're a bank because money flows through your company and it's your responsibility to maximize the benefit of that. You have to manage the time value of the money that comes through. Right. And you're a communications company. Mm -hmm. And this is where so many people just willy-nilly just give it up to, well, we all try to get along and we Mm -hmm. try to talk and we have meetings and we get with you every year and I'll Mm -hmm. assess your performance and all this stuff is just dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. So what I've tried to do is bring um, uh, what I call automatic transparent legacy systems, processes, and reports. All right. I like the name. It just flows, right? That's what I thought you'd call it. Yeah. (laughs) But but that's the whole, that's the big picture. What is it we're trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. here? And, And so automatic, you want these, you want this process to go on. You don't have to where it becomes the de facto way that business is done. Gotcha. Transparent. You need to share it throughout the organization. So credit's given where credit is due. Everybody can see who's thinking, who's contributing. Legacy. You want this thing to go on beyond your, you know, uh, when when you're transitioning the business. You want it to go on and become part of the permanent value of the business. And uh, systems, processes, and reports is what we all seek in business that will enable us to move on to the higher strategic Mm -hmm. considerations that we have to run a successful business. So this is the the real fulcrum of of marketing, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So throughout my career, starting out as a designer and then going to a copywriter and a creative director and then a marketing person, where I realize that it's really key to get up there into the C-suite and work directly with the CEO to determine what is the essence of what this business is trying to communicate and then to help the CEO figure out how do we make this part of our culture, this communication, Mm -hmm. so that all of the ideas and everything bubble up and that they get responded to in a quick expedient manner that's in alignment with this culture. Okay. So first of all, a business needs to articulate their culture very succinctly. Mission, vision, values, we all hear that. It's, but it's not just a bromide. I mean, it's, it's critical. And the guiding principles of the company, the, the policies and procedures, this all has to be committed to writing and it has to be distilled down into its essence so that you have this thing on the wall that you can point to that will eliminate plausible deniability and will basically say, hey, chaos creators, we have a way of doing things. Right. Your responsibility is to communicate with context, details, and specifics mm-hmm. so that we can move forward and get beyond all this. Interesting, because this is nothing really that has to do that much with the external identity of the company as it is with how things work internally to make success that's right yeah that's right and the mm-hmm. and so people get caught up in advertising oh that's creative oh you come up with ideas mm-hmm. and but really that is all 
great. Uh, you can create those wonderful, asymmetric, powerful marketing ideas and things, but you can't really have lasting impact without first identifying how are we going to use that once we get that advantage. Right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And that takes effective communication wow. in order okay. for it to be a lasting value to the company. So that's kind of, you know, you get you get tired of, uh, you know, so many. And coming, coming from the old ad agency business where everybody was trying to get the big idea and trying to get mm-hmm. creative awards and all these things, I was always more interested in yeah. what are the results. And what happens with a lot of companies is you – you and I've got a, a great story about this. Is one of my great friends in town is is a very successful businessman, and everybody in town who's listening to this is familiar with his brand. It's Minsky's Pizza. Okay. The gentleman who runs that company is a good friend of mine by the name of Greg Johnson, and uh, Greg had at one time, uh, many many years ago, had. Uh, transition that company to some other owners uh-huh. and and he had to uh, and they kind of lost their way with it and and were not maintaining the the quality standards and and Greg and I talked about it and Greg brought me in there to help him essentially take the company back over and get it on track yeah this was all his doing but but I was the one who came in and helped him articulate to the folks that you know, things aren't going right and you're either going to step it up or you're going to get off the bus at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and the key to this was communications because I, I went around to all the different places and saw there were inconsistencies and I met with Greg on it and he said, basically, don't pull any punches. Let's, let's hear what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and there was a lot of drop-off and a lot of people got very mad and I thought, oh, Greg's not going to talk to me again because mm-hmm. I yeah. told everybody, you know, this sucks, that sucks, your place is, the, you know. And I thought, oh, I was scared. I thought, Greg's, Greg's going to be mad. And, and I ran into him uh, a couple weeks later at Fedora, and he was buying me drinks and saying, well done. <laughs> and, and we got that baby on Mixed track. Back, yeah. yeah. And, and since then, he's, you know, he's pulled together one of the greatest organizations locally that I've ever seen. Wow. And everybody's on track, and he's got his people all pulling in the same direction, and they, and and the communications in the company is great, and there's shared ownership. Uh, there's everybody has buy-in, and and everybody knows where the quality of that product is gone. It's yeah, the, it's yeah. the king of the hill. Yeah. And Greg uh, goes all over the world and finds the best ingredients and the best systems and the best ovens, and mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah. He's, he's been freed up to do what he does so well, which is create an excellent product. Yeah. And, and so now, uh, and that's, that's the magic of effective communications in a company. And that's what I try now to uh, replicate. And, and with, with Freedom Bank, had, had the opportunity to build that system from the bottom up. Mm-hmm, sure. And uh, along with the CEO there. And now what I've realized is that that's the key to every company's success. Mm-hmm. That's what gives you the sustainable competitive advantage is effective communication inside. And then you can go out and have the big advertising and marketing home runs, yes. and then they mean something. Right, exactly. You have the structure to follow up on your external success. 
That's internally. right. Yes. Okay. Well, Loy, I can see now by the level of the wine in the bottles that we've had here at the interview at the uh, Diebel's Cigar Lounge. Oh, yeah. It's a lot. Maybe it's time to wrap things up and send people on their way. Any way of people contacting you if they're interested in any of these things that you've done outside of contacting William Morris? Well, Dick, thanks for that. I, I got to tell you, though, when you are finished with your cigar, you just leave it in the ashtray. You don't, like, you know, put it out like it was a Marlboro Light or something. You just leave it there and let it burn. You do? Yeah. Did I do the right thing? Yeah, you did. Just you did it kind perfectly. of pushing it in off the little cigar holder? Perfectly. Okay, good. Okay. But everybody needs to know that. And then someone like us will clean it up later here in the cigar lounge? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, okay. Our, right. The great people at Diebel's will come in and clean it up. That's good. This is I the greatest this. cigar club. So what was the question? I forgot, Dick. Uh, how do people con- t- contact you outside? Because we have no contact stuff for our podcast. Yeah, I know. You know I mean, uh, how do people get in touch with you? You got anything they can contact Yeah, you? Loy at LoyEdge.com is good. Okay, that's good. Always great. You mm-hmm. can uh, okay. go onto the LinkedIn and see that good. thing. If you're a business person particularly, because uh, you can get a little preview as to what the communication culture is about. Mm-hmm. And if you are looking for voiceover work, mm-hmm. uh, you, you say, hey, Loy Edge, that's a voice for me. There you go. William Morris, there Eric Seastrand, that contact information is on there. And by golly, here's a sampling of some of the talent you'll get. Listen closely while I tell you all about the great new shows on Kids WB next weekend. The world of the cloud cards is like a strange dream. That's right. Where people and creatures are not what they seem for real. Card captors. His mission? To make your hamburger taste great! Prepared by highly trained chefs and served in a big pile on the floor. Tell a lie, shame on you. My house was broken into last night and they took my homework by accident. Tell too many and they'll come true. Help me! See what trouble telling lies can bring. I'm gonna break you in half. Like being chased by the wrestler's sting! R.L. Stein's The Nightmare Room, next on Kids WB. Our specials are more special here on NBC. And don't touch that dial. Good. And other than that, just kind of, you know, look me up at Deeble's Cigar Lounge. Yeah, or one of the bars around the chair. area. Yeah, okay. No, no, Dick, I... I don't drink. Oh, that's not a part of the business thing. No. Okay, we'll edit that out of the final show. Thank you. Um, well, I've learned so much more about Loy Edge than I knew uh, other than, you know, singing about uh, phase one of the snow closures in town. So I appreciate this time to sit and talk with you. Dick, thank you so much for giving a damn. Okay. Would you sing the closeout of our, of our podcast? Yeah, I'd be glad to. Here we go. You might love it. You might hate it. It's my favorite freaking show. 